thanks for listening to the Radiant Church Podcast. This is David Perkins, and we're so glad that you're listening. Hey, if you're a part of our family meeting online or in person, we want to encourage you to get connected at Radiant Church KC across all social media platforms. God is doing something incredible in Kansas City, and we love connecting with you, whether it's through our app or even through all the content available on our YouTube page. Hey, our prayer is that God uses this message to change your life and that you could become a dynamic disciple of Jesus. Thanks for listening. Enjoy this message. Well, good morning. Thank you for coming. Some are having breakfast. That's good. Some have coffee. Thank you. It is, I, I hope you know what an honor it is for me to be given this opportunity, and thank you. <laughs> there's, there's so many things I wish I could do as well as my son does, but I'm working on just one. I'm slow. So I love the way he often starts, and he kind of got into it a little bit. I, I, I love the way he often starts by saying, if you love Jesus, say, amen. I do. So I'm going to see. I'm going to check to see. Everybody ready? Here we go. This is, just, this is an easy one, but it's the only one I can get. Here we go. So if you love Jesus, say, I do. I, do. <laughs> I get an A. Okay, good. Well, thank you. I've been asked today to talk with you about discipleship, and I will do my best. Um, I'm going to title it, Jesus the Discipler Then and Now. I hope it'll be clear how he does it now. Um, the, the, this idea of discipleship has morphed a lot. And what, what I will tell you, we're not going to talk about kindergarten discipleship or grade school discipleship. We're not going to talk about graduate school or college but somewhere around the, the area of sophomore, okay? So, something like that. We're going we're gonna to kind of major on that, and uh, we'll, we'll do our best to make it as clear as possible. Jesus, thank you that you are here. You're always here. You won't leave us, and you knock. You talk all the time. Thank you that you will knock on the door of my mind, protecting me. I ask you, protect me from, from getting off. I ask you to, to make clear to me that which you once said. And I really do ask you to help every person here to be very intentional in not listening to a human being, but listening for the living God speaking through a human being. We're not dealing with my message if it's my message, we don't want it. It's got to be your message. So help us to discern what is the spirit and what is flesh, which is a job, and we need help. Amen? Amen. Amen. Okay. So most of you have probably been around church long enough, around the Bible long enough, to have heard about Peter, Simon Peter, one of Jesus' disciples. Um, he did a lot of really good things, but he's kind of famous for sometimes messing up. And there's one famous one. When Jesus was warning the disciples of what was coming and how bad it was going to be, and warning them that, that they were going to all leave him, Peter said, not me. 
So if I could coach Peter a little bit, I'd say it's probably not best that you argue with Jesus. He's pretty sharp. And and then Pete said, these other birds, they they, they might leave you. So he not only argues with Jesus, but he's smarter and better than the other guys. He's he's a little pride going on there. And and he said, so so I will will never leave. I I will die for you, Jesus. I don't care. So a little confidence there. So so Peter had some work to do. And he proved it in a little while. Because he failed greatly. You've all heard about it. Most of you have heard about it. He denied Jesus. Over and over. I mean, he did it. So, let's, let's go past the crucifixion. Past the resurrection. A few days later, Jesus is meeting with his disciples again. And... And they're having breakfast. They're just being together, doing what disciples do with their discipler. And so we're talking about Jesus discipling back then. So Jesus is having a conversation with them, but then he zeroes on Peter. He says, hey, Pete, um, can I ask you a question? And Pete froze. Because he's just coming off trying, I'm gonna, I shouldn't say it, trying not, he's so upset with himself, he can't, he's so pained. So Jesus says, can I ask you a question? Maybe I can imagine Jesus saying that. And, and, and Pete saying what? And Jesus says, Simon Peter, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Now that's a whole sermon, more than these. But do you truly love me? And when Jesus said, do you love me? He used a Greek word. Well, we translated for us into Greek. He used the word that, that is, uh, the Greek word is Agape. And and it's a word that means I love you so much that it doesn't matter what happens to me. It doesn't matter what it costs me. I'm ready to die for you because I love you. I'll lay down my life for you. That's agape. So Jesus says to Pete, hey, Pete, do you really have agape for me? That's exactly what Pete said earlier. And Pete, he said, Lord, you know, I, I love you, but he used a different word. He used the word phileo. He said, Lord, do you know that, that I, I love being with you? I, I love the way you are. You're special to be with. I love partnering with you. I love eating breakfast with you. I love hanging out with you. I, I love serving you. And Jesus said, Good. Feed my lambs. Not because you're a great feeder. That's partly irrelevant. Pete had been with Jesus for three years by now. The point is, because you love me, that's why you do it. So feed my lambs. Now, it says feed my lambs. You can feed lambs because lambs are, they're, they're kind of young. They're naive. They haven't been burned they'll believe anything. You can feed them slop and they'll eat it. You can feed them anything and they'll eat it. They're not discerning. They're not critical. So, time passes. And again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? Do you have agape for me? And Pete, I have no idea what went through his mind. Do we have to? Jesus might have said, hey, Pete, you, you kind of you dodged my question. 
I asked if you had agape for me. And he said, Lord, I, I love you. I, I got phileo. I, I love being with you. I love being with the brotherhood. I, 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 I love life with you, but I don't have agape. Jesus said, good enough. Phileo is good enough. Not perfect. Not the ideal, but you're, you're making progress if you're there. So Jesus said, Pete, take care of my sheep. Now notice, he said, feed my lambs. He said, take care of my sheep. Huh. See, sheep have been around a while. They're jaded. They've eaten some of the food. It didn't taste good. It didn't work. They're, they're discerning in a negative way. They... they in fact, they don't trust unless they're cared for. See, because they've been burned a little bit. So Jesus said, got to love them. Love my sheep. Care for them. Okay. All right. Then a third time, Jesus said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And this time, Jesus changed words. He said, do you have phileo for me? Really? And Pete, I mean, this is too much. Jesus, I've already told you twice. Why are you doing this to me? You know. You know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, yep, I do. I want you to know it. I want you to know. I know your past. You know a little of your past. I know it all. I, I, I want you to know that I know that you love me with phileo. And Pete, because of that level of maturity, that level, imperfect to be sure, promises unkept, but because you want to be with me, because you want to know me, you want to serve me, because of that, I give you one more time, feed my sheep. This time he says, feed them. Message being, most of the ones you meet out there, they're older. They've been burned. You're going to have to care for them before you can feed them. But if you'll care for them, they'll trust you, and then they'll listen to you. You'll gain credibility because you care. So let's fast forward a couple thousand years. Let's go to 1969, about what, 53, 54 years ago. The word discipleship was non-existent in my world. Now, very soon thereafter, books came out and people started talking about it and writing about it and preaching about it. And now everybody's heard about discipleship and almost everyone has come up with their understanding, their definition, which doesn't include kindergarten often or, or includes fourth grade, but doesn't include high school or graduate school. Call, it, it's all over the map. Everybody's got an idea about discipleship. Most of the time, it's not a holistic biblical concept. I, I don't mean that critically. It's just, it's too, it's too narrow. Often what happened, because we weren't talking about discipleship, but we were doing things in the church, then discipleship became a buzzword. So what we did is we took the word discipleship 
and we just superimposed it on top of what we were already doing. We didn't change a thing because of the new word discipleship. We just called what we used to do discipleship. That's not, not okay. Discipleship is much more dramatic, and, and, and we, we don't, we're going to get started today. Nineteen sixty-nine, fifty-three, fifty-four years ago, January, I was a math teacher. I was a coach. I loved it. I was sitting in a setting like this, just about this size, sitting right over there, and all of a sudden, I, I had some thoughts in my mind. Who's going to take Lee's place? Who's going to take John's place? These were my best buds. And they were both pastoring. And they both, for various reasons, quit. And I was pretty sure it was the Holy Spirit. Because he talks to us, you know. We experience it as a thought, primarily. We experience it as a holy desire. He, the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Spirit. But I was pretty sure it was the Holy Spirit. And I didn't like it. Because I was scared to death of being a pastor. I, I'd, I was raised all my life in church. I'd, I'd been in little church. I'd been in large church. I'd seen way more than I should have. And I was far more idealistic and far more critical than I should have been. And, and I didn't want to be a pastor because it was over my head. I knew that. I knew I couldn't do it. Th those were my thoughts. And, but I, I was pretty sure. And so after the service, I thought maybe I ought to check with Debbie. <laughs> and she just happened. She said, yes. I said, really? I was stuck. <laughs> it took me about a year to get sure. But I settled it. But during that year, something happened. I thought it was my idea. It seemed like such a good idea that, okay, Jesus, I don't even know what pastors do other than preach on Sunday morning. So Jesus, you were a good pastor. You were the good shepherd. That's the word for pastor. And, and so you, that's, that's what you did. So I, I'm going to study Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John just to see how you did life. Because I want to, if, I really meant it, if you'll show me how you did it, I'll, I'll go for it because I love you. Not perfectly, but I love you. And so I thought that was a pretty good idea, and it took me a couple decades to realize that I ain't had no good ideas. <laughs> because every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of heaven and lights. The Holy Spirit dwelling in me is the gift of God, and the Holy Spirit reveals the word and the will of God for me. And it dawned on me, it was the Holy Spirit that gave me that idea, and fortunately, I did it. I started studying Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I studied hard. I had stacks of notebook paper of all that Jesus did, and tons of things. And I actually did it for six years because I had to teach another year and coach. And then I became a youth pastor two years. And then I went to seminary three years. And all that time I was studying, Jesus, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to live? 
And, and, and there was a ton of stuff, about 16 big ideas. But, but as I got about time to start pastor, I got them narrowed down. And, and I want to nibble on two of them and talk a little bit about one of them. So, so one of the things that shouldn't have been surprising to me, it won't be surprising to you, but one of the things that kind of that, that, that stuck out at me was that I had a picture of Jesus that he was so, I mean, he was the Messiah. He came to save the whole world. And that, mean, he, I mean, I, that means his job description was massive. I want, and, and he was moving. He was missional. He was purposeful. He was strategic. But I noticed that he had fabulous peripheral vision. Whenever Jesus was on his way to whatever he was going to do that he had been led by his father to do because he didn't do anything except what his father gave him to do, whenever I saw Jesus on his way to do something, I noticed that almost every time on the way, his peripheral vision was working and he saw, he saw a little guy up in a tree who was a tax collector that no one liked, hated and Jesus stopped, looked at him. He cared about him. And I could go. On his way, people came up, and the, the big shot religious guys came up and threw a poor woman down who had been accused of being guilty of horrific sin. And they wanted to engage Jesus, and he gently slowed down, and he worked with them. He looked them in the eye because he cared about those guys. He cared enough to tell him the truth, but he cared about the woman. Set her free. Go. Don't sin anymore. It'll kill you. And I won't go through anymore. You, you know, I hope you know a bunch of them. So I wrote down over time, I wrote down, no matter what Jesus was doing, he was aware of those around him and he cared about them. He cared. So my lifestyle, if I, was going to, if I was going to walk the way Jesus did and be what he was, then I would need to integrate that into my lifestyle. It breaks my heart that I got distracted so often with what I knew I was supposed to do, but out of my fear and insecurity, I, I couldn't stop long enough to just, we're working on it. I noticed another thing about Jesus. And, and that, that kind of what, what I really mean is that there were people all out there. They're not in here. They're, they were usually the high lives of culture or the, what we call low lives. They were the people that were different. They were, they were up and out. They were, quote, down and out. That Jesus cared about those extreme people on the, quote, fringes of normal. It really impressed me. He cared. And I knew that in my head, but I was writing it down. Then there was another thing that, that, that impressed me over time. It grew as I studied it more. That, that Jesus, and this won't surprise you, Jesus taught kind of like this. He, he, you know, sermons on the mount. And he, he taught people. And, and, and I've come to realize that there's much more to teaching than teaching. But, but I, I wrote that down, and Jesus did it all the time. And so that was fairly easy for me to get a hold of because I knew that if I was going to be a pastor, I'd get paid to do it. I, uh, they expected to be good, and that wasn't fair. They didn't write that in the contract. But anyhow, but, but that fit, that wasn't too hard to get a hold of. And 
But another thing, and the thing I want to major on today is that something I, I was clueless about. I didn't have any grid for it. It, it. it didn't make any sense to me. I, I watched Jesus as he was going out there in peripheral vision, caring about whoever he came that stopped him from what he was doing. And then I saw him teaching. I noticed that, that I was writing down in my book, I was writing down, he was with them. They were with him. With, with, with. He, he had this ragtag group of guys that he couldn't get rid of. Everywhere he went, they followed him around. And, and it, when he preached, they'd bug him. They'd ask him questions. Or he'd ask them questions. So what do you think I meant? What did you hear me say? And they just talked together. It was back. Today, right now, I'm doing this. This is one way. But Jesus was doing two ways. He was communicating with them. He knew them. They had relationship. He didn't have ongoing relationship with the people out there, and not even the masses that listened to him, but he had relationship with these guys. He, and he cared about them over and over and over and over and over. And it began to dawn on me, slowly, I'm slow, it began to dawn on me that, that if I was going to live the way Jesus lived, whether I was a pastor or not, and I could take time to talk about how that evolved, that I needed, I needed to somehow, somehow gather some people. At least it was getting there in my mind. And then came the clincher. Here's, I think, when it finally really hit me. One day I was reading, carefully writing. I was still in the mindset, Jesus, what do you want me to do? I was writing it down. And Luke chapter 6, verse 12 says that Jesus stayed up all night and prayed. And then it doesn't say he went and got breakfast or showered. He may have. But, but he says, and then he went and he selected 12. It said, of all his disciples, think, all his disciples who were listening to his teaching, he selected 12 to be with him. Jesus did it on purpose. He was strategic. He was intentional. It didn't just happen. They glommed on to him, and he said, well, okay. No, he started it. He initiated it. He created and cared for a small group. I mean, he loved everyone, and he taught the masses, but he very purposefully developed a little team of comrades. And then at about that time, I wrote down, Jesus made disciples. Sorry, I'm just in the middle of a cold. I thought it was over. That, that struck me. If, Jesus, if I'm going to live the way you live, doesn't matter my profession. I, I, if I'm going to follow you and your example, then I'll need to do that. And, and somewhere in there, it came to my attention that these, this little band, I mean, you don't hear much about the Zacchaeus, or you don't hear much about the woman at the well, but, or even the masses, but then you hear about Peter, James, and John especially, and you hear about the talk about them. In Acts, they said, these guys have turned the world upside down. And then some sage stood back and said, hmm, they've been with 
Jesus. Hmm. I wonder, is Jesus still starting small groups today? I wonder, is Jesus still wanting to turn the world upside down? Let's fast forward to today. Jesus says, I've not changed. I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's still burning in me. I still care for the people out there. But I care for the people in here. In fact, the scripture says, Galatians 6.10, do good to everyone, especially the household of God. And I used to talk a lot when I was first working on this, I'd, I'd talk about making disciples is, is really all about kind of like having a family because you live together, you, you, you stay together, you eat together, you work together, you live under the same roof, you, you're just together all the time, you're with them all the time. That's the only social structure where it really works the way Jesus had it with Peter, James, and John. And I'd talk about it, it's, it's like family. And, and, and then my wife hauled off and had triplets. I want to name him Peter, James, and John. <laughs> Jesus says, I really care for my own, my sheep. I want them cared for. I haven't changed. Most of you here are Jesus' sheep. You're not lost sheep. Most of you have put your faith in Jesus enough to trust him. Do what he says. You, you've, you've received Jesus. Jesus is looking at every one of you. He's looking you right in the eyes. And he says, I care about you. And I want you to be cared for. Not just in words or theory or ideas. I want you with, with hands, with feet, with eyes, with ears, with voice. I want you cared for. I want to disciple you. But, but you're not out there. And if you're here, there's a lot we can't get done, Jesus says. I, I mean, the way Jesus wants to love us is concrete, it's practical, it's experiential. So, we, you know, there's all kinds of practical ways that this pans out. Jesus talked about love one another over and over and over. You all know that. Over and over. In fact, he says, the world will know you're my disciples by your strong love for each other. Well, if the world were watching this, they couldn't tell we loved each other. They just think you're going to a concert and a lecture. I can tell we love each other. They won't know that we love each other until we, they see us taking care of each other. And, and, and we really, this is not a good structure all by itself. See, many times in the church, not always, thank God, but many times in the church, we tried to fly with one wing. It's called the large group. And... It doesn't work so well. But there's another kind of wing. It's called a small group. And when both 
I'm going to get to working. And without this working, very soon this will crash and burn into nominality, superficiality, the culture that's coming in, if they come in because of the good fruit that's here, the culture that's coming in soon will not taste, and they will not disciple them, they'll disciple us. And we'll become less and less authentic. Radiant is an authentic church right now. There's a ton of authenticity. Not perfect. That there's some who can say, I have agape, and you've laid down your life for Jesus. It's cost you, and it hurts, but it was okay because you had agape for Jesus. But there's many who, you've got phileo, and you're here, and you like hanging out with Jesus, but if somehow this is all we have, sooner or later, after going around in circles, we're going to crash and burn. We need this. You with me? Jesus says, I have not changed. I want every person here. I want every person here cared for. Everyone. And, and, and the best way we know to do what Jesus wants is to gather in family-like, relational-like environments. Let me, let me give you what I think is the most important thing I'm going to say today. I, I hope it won't mess with you. I hope it'll be obvious to you. I hope that you can agree with it. If not, don't tell the pastor. Talk to me. <laughs> it won't do any good to tell him. Have to say, oh, 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 oh. Never have that guy again. <laughs> tell me. I want to talk to you what Jesus said to his disciples. He said, where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I with them. Most of us have heard that a lot. So let's, let's unpack it a little bit. We're two or three. So who shall I pick on? Let, let, me, pick on, let me pick on these two. They're close to me right here. <laughs> I'll pick on these two. No, I'll pick on these two. Where two or three are gathered in my name. So we... Sorry. Two or three gathered, Jesus says, I am there with them, but there's a condition. It has to be in my name. Now, that's not just a phrase we use at the end of a prayer. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. That's a big phrase. In my name actually means something. Let me show you what it means. I'm going to pick on these two right here because they're close. It means that these two actually have been born again, born from above. They've repented of their own government. They've changed kings. They've entered into the family of God. They've entered into the kingdom of God. They've come under the confidence in Jesus, the rule of Jesus. So when that happened, a miracle happened, they were born again. They were born of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit came to dwell in both of them. Okay? And because both of them can listen to Jesus say, do you truly love me? Both of them would probably say, not with agape, I hope to get there, but I phileo you, Jesus. That doesn't sound good. I phileo you. Never mind. Okay. Um, anybody awake? Didn't say it on purpose. All right. So, so here they are. Both of them, I know them. Both of them would say, Jesus, I have phileo for you. I love you. I like being with you. I like hanging out with you. And they could say, 
they could say this, Jesus, I want to go to a meeting in your name. And they would both know that that means I don't go to represent myself. I go to represent you because I have phileo. I love you. I want you honored. I want you glorified. So they go to me. It's like, it's like they're ambassadors of a, a head of state. And the head of state invites them into his service and then asks them to go to Ireland. Not to represent themselves, but to represent him. And I know these guys, they would want that. And they may or may not be good at it, but in their heart, and God sees the heart. Aren't you glad God sees the heart? And he really does see the heart. <laughs> He's not dumb. He knows what's going on in your heart. See, Because God sees the heart, he knows that they are saying, yes, Lord. And he says, care for and feed. So they understand that to go to a group in Jesus' name means they go as a representative of their king. And that's their mission, to rip represent Jesus. But I want to push it further. Represent can be said another way. Represent. Present again. Represent. And if you're tracking with me, that means you're hearing me say that they can go as the body of Christ, not a theoretical idea that's theology, but an experiential real. They can go and they can be the hands of Jesus, the feet of Jesus. Everyone else will think that it's just David and Kenny. But they can go to represent Jesus. And you're thinking, well, how does that be? Well, Jesus said, wherever two or three of you meet in my name, I will be with you. And many people think that means that the Holy Spirit, who we would say is omnipresent, that the Holy Spirit will be there somehow mystically. I can't think of the right word, but, but he'll be there doing whatever he does because he's there. But it's not mystical. It is spiritual. Ideas are real. You can't weigh an idea, but it's real. The Holy Spirit's truth. The Holy Spirit has ideas, and he speaks. So when David and Kenny, two or three, go to a small group, in Jesus' name, the Holy Spirit, who is not there mystically, or if he is, you know, but he came to dwell in them, and very seldom will he ever force his way through them. Very, very seldom will he make them say the right words, make them do the right things, make them get down on their knees and serve the people in front of them. But he talks. And he talks routinely and regularly. He is the light of the world. He will enlighten them. And so he comes. Now, this is what they don't like. He comes and he goes, Kenny. He didn't want to have a headache. He talks. Now, if Kenny's all caught up in fear and everything else, and, and he's at, he won't recognize the voice of the Spirit. But, hear me, if Kenny is not a leader, but he's a listener and a follower, which didn't we all sign up to follow? He, we quit leading when we become a Christian and we signed up to follow Jesus because we trust him. So, Kenny, all he needs to do is hear his master's voice. And he gives him specific ideas. He teaches him. He reminds him. 
he coaches. He says, Kenny, when you get in front of kings, don't worry about what to say. I'll be with you. Hear it? With you. I will give you what to say. Just listen. Just listen. And when Kenny actually listens, when he actually listens, and then have to be conscious. There are a lot of things that Kenny does that are very holy, not because he consciously recognized the voice of God, but because Christ in him, the Holy Spirit, has given him the mind of Christ. It's a long story. But he just now, naturally, he just reveals Jesus by his life because he has the mind of Christ. Christ came into him. He's been helping him be transformed by the renewing of his mind. So Kenny, when he goes, he has a helper. He's not alone. I'll be with you wherever two or three gather because of me and for me. I'll be there with them. And when Kenny catches the ball, here's Jesus, believes it enough to say it or to do it. The rest of the group thinks it's Kenny. It's not Kenny. It's Jesus living in and through Kenny. And Jesus is discipling the people when Kenny is led by the Spirit. And that culture is a whole lot better than you'll find on the job. There'll be a lot higher percentage of Jesus being manifest in the flesh, in the flesh, in a group where the group leaders have chosen not to go for their sake, not to go for their reasons, but because they want to go in Jesus' name to represent Jesus. So I like football. There's a game today, I think. I'm seeing red. So, anybody heard of Mahomes? No. All right. We've got some Cleveland people here. No. Cincinnati. Never mind. Sorry, I didn't say that. <laughs> Cut the tape. So, so, Mahomes throws the ball. Jesus is like Mahomes. <laughs> Only Jesus better. He doesn't get a high spring. And let me tell you, Jesus could run anytime he wanted and nobody could tackle him. But very, very, very seldom does he run in that way. Most of the time, he prefers a marriage. He prefers teamwork. He likes to work with and through his people. So when Jesus throws the ball, someone's got to catch it. And if they catch it and run with it, the whole world will see Jesus. They think they're seeing Kenny. They think they're seeing Mitch. Oh, no. We, we don't know what Jesus looked like. You know, we... We take guesses. Some scripture references make it sound like he was kind of not too good looking. Most of you think he looks like the chosen Jesus. And that's, I, I want to be like that. I love that. But, but he, hear me now. Jesus wants to care for his people. But he won't be able to get it tangibly done if they're not together to know each other and have relationship with the. But there needs to be Jesus there in the midst of them to care for them and to wash their feet, to serve them, to encourage them, all the things that Jesus wants to do. That deserves two sermons right there. Are you awake? Jesus wants to disciple you. And the way he does it now is not in his first body, but in, watch my theology here, his second coming when he came to dwell in you. And he wants you to be cared for. He might even want you to go to the meeting to actually care for others if you have phileo. He might even want you to start one like he did. You with me? Let's push on. How? Well, Jesus might say, 
start a small group like I did. What does that mean, Jesus? Well, just pray. Ask me to show you what to do. Follow me. Ask me to show you who to invite. Write it down. Start inviting. And here's the big deal. I'll be with you. And without me, you can do nothing. But with me, you can do. Oh, come on, church. With me, you can do. Even start a small group. Well, do you care for me? Do you have phileo? All things? Mm. Go and make disciples. Jesus didn't say that to Pete the first day that he saw him and invited him to come. It took three years. I'd love to talk with you about that. But the reality is that all of you, most of you here, have probably been with Jesus three years or more, longer than Pete was. And you got something better than Pete had. Pete had Jesus next to him. You've got Jesus in you. And Jesus said that would be better, that he'd be in you than next to you. And so maybe, just maybe, and, and this isn't about radiant. This is about you and Jesus. Okay? Maybe, just maybe, Jesus wants you, knows it's time for you. And all you have to do is listen. Spend time. Jesus, do you want me? Do you want me to partner with you? I, I like being with you. I like doing. Do you want me to serve you? Just actually, I do. I need you. Theologically accurate. I need you. Because I foreordained that I wouldn't overpower people by and large. I will work through my bride. I will work through people who are willing to work with me. So start a small group. Specifically how? Well, we like to talk here about small groups. I want to reiterate. Hear me. We're not trying to create a radiant super process. We're trying to one by one by one simply obey Jesus. This is between you and Jesus. This isn't about me. This isn't about the leadership. This is about you and Jesus. Is that okay? Are we clear? Jesus wants you, everyone cared for. We all know that. But then, whom shall I send? We clear? We here in our community, we like to talk about enjoyable small groups. I would love to talk about that with you. But if you are at all believing that maybe, just maybe, Jesus might want you to start at the sophomore level of actually laying down your life to care for others because you actually love Jesus. If you're willing to pray about that with Jesus, we encourage here, find something that you enjoy doing. I'd like to give you 10 examples. If you'll come to the small group leadership orientation right after this service, right back there in that room before you instead of going out the door, turn left. We'll grab you and keep you in. Not really, I'm joking. We like to have enjoyable small groups. So if, you're, if you enjoy something or if you're good at it, and you'll probably be doing it anyhow, well, figure out how to invite some people and do it with them. Now, if it's a basketball group, they'll think that you're coming to play basketball. You are because you enjoy basketball, but what you're really doing is to get to know them and care for them. Love one another. Encourage one another. Serve one another. You with me? Speak the truth in love to one another. 
pray for one another, all under the big umbrella of love one another. It's hard to do those things if you don't have relationship. So enjoyable small group, maybe I, I won't list off. There's a, it's, we'll talk about it in there. But we also ask that you do what we call ESPN. Pretty simple, we'll explain it there, but in short, it means encourage. We're to encourage one another many times, it says in Scripture. In fact, it says daily. So in order to encourage someone, you can't kind of just see them here. you got to kind of know what they're going through so you can see the good they're doing and say, that was great as they report the struggle they had at home, but they, you can celebrate and encourage them. Or you know they're going through a battle, and you can say, you know what, though? You didn't give up. You didn't. Way to go. Keep going. Or you can see their potential. You can see what they could possibly become. And you say, it's not happened yet, but I see in you the seeds of greatness. Don't quit. You're on your way. How we need to encourage one another. The next one is S. It stands for scripture. We'll talk about it in there. The next one is P, pray. We'll talk about it in there. N, next steps. That's a big one. We'll work on it in there, okay? So, small group leaders orientation. We're going to talk there about enjoyable and ESPN groups. Further, we're going to talk about steps to start a healthy group. All right? Then we're going to talk about the care and coaching for small group leaders. Pastor David alluded to it. I don't, I'm not going to, but I'll just say this. We are determined that everyone's to be cared for. These group of discipleship coordinators are to be cared for. That means they have to be known. We have, we have processes whereby we not only celebrate the good, but we listen to what they're going through, what they're hurting about, and we work with them. And, and then they do the same. For every small group leader, I'm going to cheat on my time a little bit and say, we, we don't make small group leaders be a part of what they offer, but we beg them to be. We want to help. We want to encourage. We want to equip small group leaders to be all they can be. We don't actually be a small group leader and just throw you out the best wishes. We've got someone, and this is about three-fourths of our small group, our discipleship coordinators. They all are committed to helping our small group leaders. They've all jumped through the hoops of, of credibility and authenticity that we trust them to pastor the pastors, the small group leaders. And then even, even you, all of you who come to Radiant, we don't, we don't make you go to a small group. We say you're welcome here, but we beg you to go to a small group because Jesus told us to care for you, and we want you to be cared for. I pray with my eyes open a lot of time because Jesus said, watch and pray. And I drive, and it's better that I, if I'm praying without ceasing, it's better I keep my eyes open. But today I want to invite you to shut your eyes. You don't need to, but I invite you because I want you to imagine Jesus looking at you. I don't know what he looks like in your mind, but I want eye-to-eye -eye contact. I want you to feel a little bit of what Peter felt. And I want you to hear Jesus saying, do you have phileo for me? There's some here who Jesus probably wouldn't ask that question to because you, you hardly know him enough to trust him. You, you maybe haven't even chosen to become his disciple. If you haven't, if you haven't decided to become a Christian, a follower of Jesus, his disciple, I just want to tell you, he'll save your life. He'll save your life. If, if you trust him enough, 
to listen to what he says and grow at believing it and grow at doing it, he'll save you. Whether you're online or here this morning, think about it with Jesus. He, he loves you. He wants what's best for you. He knows what's best. You don't. He does. Today, maybe you could become one of his disciples. Just, just say, Jesus, I'm not sure what I'm doing, but I want to get to know you so I can trust you better. Start a relationship as one of his followers. And if you do that, somehow make it known to someone. Just someone. Help someone to help you by telling that. There are most of us here this morning, you love Jesus a lot. And when he says to you, do you have phileo for me? Your answer is, oh yes, Jesus, I do. I heard you say it earlier. Jesus, I do. But he knows your life circumstance. He knows your maturity. He may not ask you to start a small group, but he might say to you, out of love for me, if you love me, would you care for my sheep? Would you go to a small group, not for what you get, but what you can give? Would you go to a small group to love the people that are there to care for them? But there's some here this morning who you're not sure you've never thought about starting a small group. You've, it's maybe a brand new idea for you. But as I've talked, the Holy Spirit may have been talking to you the way he talked to me when he called me to become a professional pastor. But do you, you <laughs> Jesus wants every one of his sheep cared for. And maybe, just maybe, you have this sense of gnawing, this sense of maybe I could do that, maybe I should do that, Jesus, because I love you. Jesus, I can't do it on my own, but you promised to be with me and help me, and I've got the help of others. Jesus, maybe, just maybe, I should think about it and pray about it more, and that's what I ask, that you'll pray about it. And if you have any inkling or inclination to get more aware, just come back to the small group leaders orientation. We'll, we'll talk. We'll answer questions. We'll do what we can to help. This is, this is about the greatest invitation to help Jesus with the people he cares about. Can you imagine any higher calling? So, I don't know. What, what is your response to Jesus? I don't, I don't know what he's been saying to you. It's not me talking to you. It's got to be him talking to you. If you have a little hint of what he might be, it might be that you've got a desire to do this. It might be that it just makes sense. I don't know. But whatever you are sensing that could be from the Holy Spirit, would you just talk to him now? Jesus, I gave you my yes. Whatever he's communicating, just like dad said yes in 1969. Give your yes right now. I'll obey. Jesus, we love you today. We love you. And everybody said amen.